All right, welcome to Locked On Warriors, your podcast on all things Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Bay Area News Group. And on today's episode, I'll be joined by Scott Howard Cooper, the author of Steve Kerr, A Life. A really, really good book. I highly recommend it if you're a Warriors fan. Uh, it's a biography on Steve Kerr's life, how he became the coach of the Warriors, and really helps you understand Steve a little bit more. Um, and so we get into a lot of things. We get into how Steve Kerr got the Warriors job in the first place. We know a lot of the details about all of that, but Scott uh, reveals a lot of unreported things before, some really interesting stuff there. And then how Steve, because of the way he was raised, because of his basketball experience, how he helped form and establish the Warriors dynasty along with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. We get into Steve Kerr's relationship with Kevin Durant and all sorts of other things. This is a really, really good conversation I think you're really going to enjoy it. Scott did an awesome job with the book. You could buy the book wherever books are sold, Amazon, independent bookstores, uh, wherever you can go get them. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the book. Again, highly recommend it and really, really thankful uh, to Scott for joining me um, and talking about the book. So uh, here it is. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, now I'm here with Scott Howard Cooper, a friend of mine and the author of Steve Kerr, A Life, uh, a book about yes, Steve Kerr. Uh, really well done story or uh, novel here, um, kind of getting into everything uh, about Steve Kerr, how he was brought up and obviously his time with the Warriors, but everything around that, his time in broadcasting, um, kind of the lessons that he's learned throughout his coaching tenure in Golden State, which I think a lot of listeners the Lockdown Warriors will be interested in, but um, and so I highly recommend the book, first of all. But um, Scott, thanks so much for uh, coming on. And can you tell me a little bit about how this book came together? Well, in sort of a roundabout way, uh, the plan originally about two and a half years ago, I had a proposal in the works and just about finished uh, off the latest Warriors championship after they beat the Raptors about this team that used to be fun and but also somewhat difficult to follow because they were always in a lottery suddenly turned into a constant NBA champion and we were ready to go just about as the finals were about to start and apparently Kawhi Leonard did not like that book idea and the fates who handled the injury did not like that idea because once uh, once Toronto beat the Warriors, there was no time. That was no time to be talking about the rise of the Warriors after they had lost in the finals. And I had thought that the, anything to do with that topic was at least temporarily dead, just because again, coming off a finals loss, when I think a lot of people had been expecting that win, like I had, uh, changed things dramatically. But my agent encouraged me to stick with to turn it into a Steve Kerr idea. He said that. Uh, for one thing, it's about Steve's entire life. So it, whether he's coming off a finals loss or a finals win is not the pivotal moment in his life. And also, because as the book really gets into, so much of Steve's life, his career and uh, personally, has been about overcoming adversity, has been about dealing with difficulty and about being resilient. And that's exactly the situation he was in once there was no clay and at the mo at that moment, we knew that there was no Kevin Durant. We just didn't know if it'd be with the Warriors or with another team as he was heading into free agency. So it did not start out as a Steve Kerr book, but that's where we ended up. And I went in pretty short order 
from thinking, yeah, okay, we'll do this to, all right, yeah, this is, this is really going to work. There's some good stuff here to all of a sudden I looked up and thought, I can't believe nobody has done this yet. There's just so much there to talk about a lot of which hasn't been talked about before. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you get into so much here and I'm just curious from a reporter's standpoint, you're an experienced reporter. What struck you as sort of the most fun part of this book, uh, in your reporting of it? Probably a couple things. One, that none of this was supposed to happen. Uh, when you talk about the fates following Steve Kerr, it's really amazing because uh, his parents were never even supposed to meet. It took sort of this, this fluke happening. Uh, he had no business going to the University of Arizona. He's the first guy to say that. Uh, certainly not playing in the NBA for 15 years. By the time he was a senior, in Tucson, he thought, you know, if a lot of things break right, I might be able to squeeze a year or two out of this. So he had no business being in the NBA for 15 years, had no business, should not have been on the Bulls, again, as he would be uh, one of the first to realize. He was about to retire. He couldn't get on the court for the Orlando Magic the season before when Orlando was a lottery team. And here he is sort of thinking, you know, I should go for the Bulls with Michael Jordan, B.J. Armstrong, and John Paxson. Um, and then was not supposed to become the Warriors coach. That that should not have happened. Remember, he had accepted Phil Jackson's offer to coach the Knicks. Um, so there is this sense about how uh, none of it was supposed to happen, and it all did, and that's kind of the crazy thing. And then there's this other aspect about all these things that happened to him, uh, maybe younger in life or in an earlier time in his life, that kind of came around full circle. Uh, that reemerged 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, uh, that you have all these stories that uh, deal with uh, Kim Jong-un and Yasser Arafat as much as you're uh, just one minute, one page you're talking about Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan, and the next you're talking about Kim Jong-un. Yeah. And uh, it, it, that's what makes it so crazy is that you have all of these things. This is not a typical basketball story by any means. It's not, it's not just laying box scores on top of each other. The politics is really interesting too, because we know that Steve Kerr now is very, very outspoken about politics, right? Especially about gun control and, and just any number of things. He was obviously very anti Donald Trump and that's a part of your book, but you're right. Like you go into his background and everything like politics is just, it's not something that Steve Kerr is bringing to the table. It's very, very clear that politics has always been part of Steve Kerr's life for better or worse, and for a lot of times worse, uh, especially with the, with his childhood, um, it's just been part of him. And you have um, you kind of bring it all together at one part. One part in the book, you uh, have this story about Steve going on um, uh, Tim Kawakami's podcast and saying at the very end of the podcast, "Hey, before you sign off here, can I just say one more thing?" And he starts talking. I think it's about. Um, gun control at that point, if I have the right, if I have the story straight. And, right. Right. Um, just from, from that perspective, I think a lot of people on the outside who don't know Steve Kerr's story just say, okay, why is, is this just another person not involved in politics talk, using his platform as a famous person to talk about politics, but it's much, it's much deeper than that, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, a lot of this is, uh, part of the book in the sense of how did Steve Kerr become the guy he is now? Because we all see him 
Uh, he's been in the spotlight for decades, ever since he ever since he turned into a star in college. But really, this is who the guy has always been. Uh, his parents encouraged Steve and his three siblings to be very interested and curious about the world around them. They lived in, obviously, a, a lot of different places. But even when they were in Southern California, uh, still encouraged a lot of a lot of acceptance of other people and being being interested in other backgrounds. And it's just something that has always been a part of the family. When, when Steve talks about accepting other people and being interested uh, in lives, even if it's, even if it's not the background you come from, uh, that's not just a, a, the party line that he's giving out that day. This is who he has always been. And, there's been a few, two or three in particular, dramatic personality changes in his life, and we sort of outlined them. And uh, there's there's one that when he was with the Bulls, and then there's, I think, two that really stand out when he with, with, was with the Warriors or is with the Warriors. Uh, he showed up with a lot more confidence as a coach than he ever had as a player, uh, which is strange because he had a much bigger role as a coach than he ever had as a player. Most of the time he was a sixth or seventh or eighth guy at best. Uh, but he shows up, he takes the job over and he's talking right away, uh, about, you know, we can be championship good for a long time. And they hadn't even been out of the first round. And there's, we highlight this one. He had a conversation with Harrison Barnes right after taking the job and they're on the phone. They're watching Spurs Thunder in the Western Conference Finals, and Steve says to Harrison, you know, this can be us next year. And Harrison sort of says, he's like almost blown away. So, you know, you know, we lost in the first round last year, right? And this was more confident than Steve had ever been. And then that second personality change in a big way with the Warriors was what you just mentioned. When he went from being politically aware and it was something that was always important to him and something he discussed with people in his life. But then there came this point where he said, uh, he just sort of reached a decision about, I've got this megaphone and I'm going to use it. And it started with that conversation uh, with Tim on the podcast that day. And as everybody knows, it's continued. But that's where it started. Hey guys, so there are a few things in life that just aren't fun to talk about. And one of them is excessive sweating. You know, when you're sweating through your shirts for no reason, it's embarrassing, isn't it? But the only way to solve the problem is to admit that you have one in the first place. And for me, I sweat a ton. There are some days where I'll go through three shirts in a day. Seriously. Look, I know this isn't life and death and there are much worse problems in the world. But let's be honest. In the moment, feels like a big deal. Nobody likes to sweat a ton during an important speech or an interview or even worse, a first date. I'd much rather not worry about it. That's why I use Sweatblock antiperspirant wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it the night before, go to bed, and the next morning you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. I know this is going to sound too good to be true, but I literally only have to use Sweatblock once or twice a week, and it keeps me dry the whole time. No more pitting out. No more picking my shirts based on which one's going to hide the sweat better. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or at Amazon and CVS. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all of the pro and college football action this season. Get all of the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest 
and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today using that promo code Locked On and receive your 100% welcome bonus. And and be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. All you have to do is make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, the season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Did anything surprise you in reporting this book? Um, I don't know about surprise. I think maybe a little bit when I sort of a lot of these may have been known as individual stories, but then when you put it in context about what we mentioned a few minutes ago about how none of this was supposed to happen, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that's kind of strange um, that that you don't stop to think about it on all the different ways that Steve could have been and even should have been somewhere else than playing in the NBA for 15 seasons and coaching the Warriors. I think that's probably what jumped out. Um, also we sort of detail in there why, why his focus on gun control and the issues of violence in society and things like that are so important to him. Obviously his, the loss of his father when he was a freshman in Arizona is number one, but there's also been several other times people that he's played with or, uh, were coached by or came across, uh, who are, who were, impacted by uh, by loss from violence and gun violence in particular uh, it's just an incredible story uh, i'll tell you how we pitched it when i talked to the publisher when we were on the phone discussing about their interest in moving forward i said it's re- it's the story of a guy with a unique career but a fascinating life because it really is much more of a life story than a basketball story uh and that's why i guess it's called steve Kerr life right um, I guess I guess that fits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you mentioned the Knicks briefly, and um, there's been a lot of reporting around how that happened. We know that Joe Lacob flew to Oklahoma City, where Steve Kerr was calling a game when he was working for TNT. Um, but you had a you had a, a a a bit of information in there about how Steve Kerr, when it was very clear that he wasn't getting the kind of uh, response from the Knicks that he was looking for, uh, which I'll let you detail, but uh, actually called Joe Lakeup while Joe Lakeup was in a meeting with Stan Van Gundy, who we knew was another favorite to potentially take over from Mark Jackson. Is that so? Steve Kerr called Joe Lakeup while Joe Lakeup was actually in a meeting, and Joe Lakeup had to do what? He had to just get up and, and leave Stan Van Gundy? Not only that, at the thing, just almost at the exact moment, a few minutes after uh, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr's agent reaches out to Bob Myers in the same meeting. Uh, it was, it was again that none of this was supposed to happen because St- the Warriors, of course, had approached Steve earlier, and he said that's awfully nice, but I'm going to see this Knicks thing through. I got to at least let it play out and see where it goes. And after telling Phil Jackson, I'm coming to New York, it's not like the Warriors swooped in. Steve had accepted the job, and it sort of shows. Uh, 
how much he did not want to be in New York, but was going to take it anyway. I think that's the fascinating part of the deconstruction of, of those days. Uh, they're in a meeting. The Warriors brass is in a meeting with Van Gundy in Orlando, where Stan is where Stan is living at the time, and they don't have much of a chance for Stan either because he's he's well down the road for taking the job at, in Detroit. But they're trying to be aggressive. Uh, they go there anyway, and the amazing thing is how bad of a situation the Warriors were facing because their top two guys were Van Gundy and Kerr. And they were both saying no at that time. They, the Warriors were in a terrible situation. And they're having this meeting. And Steve Kerr's agent reaches out to Bob Myers. And Steve Kerr himself reaches out to Joe Lacob. And at that point, Joe Lacob says, we've got a chance. And we're going to do what, you know, we're going through the wall. We're going to do whatever it takes to get Steve Kerr. And they're on a plane to OKC because that's where Steve's going to do a game for TNT. And they meet with Kerr and are blown away. And by the end of that meeting, it's so obvious that he wants them and they want him. He wants to bail on the Knicks that they have a deal in place the next day. Yeah. And um, it, it shows, obviously, Steve Kerr has a bit of loyalty um, and obviously a very close friendship to Phil Jackson. But... There's also sort of an athlete's ruthlessness to, to you know, taking care of himself first and making sure that he's in the best situation for himself to succeed. Because had he taken that Knicks job, we're not, Steve Kerr's not having books written about him at this point, probably, <laughs> right? Like, well, if there, is, if there is, it's about, you know, wrong decisions people make. <laughs> wrong decisions. And, a Steve Kerr story. And, and, and yeah, wrong, bad, bad call, Steve Kerr to the Knicks. Uh, but you're right, that says a lot about him because he did not want that job. He wanted to work for Phil, but he knew that the Knicks as a whole were a train wreck. The ownership, uh, the roster, uh, it was far from home. You know, he had the family in San Diego. He wanted to be much closer. Uh, it, it almost came to be, and this is something we talk about as well, that the original plan was that uh, the Sacramento Kings were going to be sold to the group that was going to move them to Seattle. And that group was going to hire Phil Jackson as head of basketball ops, and Phil was then going to hire Steve. And when that fell through, everything changed, and it's a few years later, and Phil is in New York, and Steve still, if you gave him the choice of anybody in the world to work for, it would have been Phil Jackson. He has a genuine desire to, to connect with him again, but understands that the Knicks are a bad situation in location, in roster, in ownership, in so many different ways, but he feels like he owes Phil because Phil as Bulls coach had basically turned not just Steve's career around, but turned Steve's life around. Those years in Chicago were obviously a, a pivotal time for Steve and in, in the, getting a lot more years out of his career than he ever would have imagined made him millions. And so he sort of feels like he's got this personal debt to Phil. Phil never hung it over Steve's head about you kind of owe me take this job, but that's how Steve felt. There was this, loyalty to owing Phil and also a genuine desire to wanting to work for Phil, he was going to take this job, even though it clearly was, was a bad opportunity and he knew it. This episode is brought to you by rock auto with the ever increasing number of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all of the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer 
choosing only the brands their warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and then write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. One of the things about Steve Kerr that always fascinated me was he likes doing media. And as a head coach, I think 50% of your job is coaching your team and 50% of your job is representing the team as the face in front of the media. I just think they, they, the media obligations on these people are so heavy. It's twice, three times a day. You're talking to media every day, almost, uh, throughout the entire season. And then the off season, people still want interviews with you and all of these things. And Steve Kerr has always been very generous with his time. And it just blew me away last year when he went out and did a podcast for the ringer. I was like, don't, aren't you just, sick of doing media like aren't you just sick of doing more stuff and he's just like but he enjoys it he really does and you have a part and, and you talk about the tnt thing was a very big part of his career even the coaching career because as you outlined while he was doing that he was kind of scheming and making plans for what ultimately would be a, a successful coaching career but uh, i want to read this passage from the book of all the jobs he would hold, he being Steve Kerr, none was so obviously destined for success as Kerr was with a microphone, a destiny since his youth of prank calls to talk radio shows and delivering high school American history reports in the bombastic timber of Howard Cosell. He was a natural with an unparalleled comfort level with the media. A couple of lines later, Kerr was just wrong about how he got there. His usual explanation, the prime spot was the ripple effect of hitting the shot for the Bulls in the 1997 finals, was far down the list of reasons TNT hired him without previous experience. Um, is that that fascination that I have for Steve Kerr as far as a media personality? I really, really enjoyed this entire part of the book. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about more about what you took away from your reporting with this and just why it is that Steve Kerr is, like you say, such a natural? It's just always something that has come to him. He was the guy, his father got killed in uh, Beirut. And two nights later, he plays this game, Arizona State at Arizona, and he's out of his mind hitting shots. And it, it's one of those games that people still talk about in Tucson about you could feel the hair standing up on the back of your, on, on your neck as this guy's going through this tragedy has an amazing game and afterwards he stands there and answers all the questions from the media. Uh, every stop early on, he thought I need to do anything I can to, to help my, <laughs> to help my career longevity, even if that means being a good guy with the media. So he went to the PR people and said, tell me if you need somebody to give an interview. When he was with the Bulls, um, he was the guy that would stay after practice or he was the guy that would be available in the locker room beforehand to sort of try to take some of that off of Michael Jordan and, 
and Scottie Pippen in particular. He just saw it as as a way of helping out uh, to the point that people started calling him and Bill Winnington, who had the same personality, like a moth. Uh, anytime a TV, the lights from a camera went off and Steve was right there, he was a moth. And Bill and Bill Winnington had a trophy made up, Moth of the Year. And they would hand it back and forth to each other at various times when somebody was very helpful to the media. He's just a really good guy. Uh, and he wants to help out. He's somebody that's always been interested in writing. He's done a lot of it himself ever since he was in high school. He loves it. Uh, there's a, there's some amazing stories in there about Steve when he was with Yahoo yep. after retiring as a player that it was amazing some of the stuff he did just to be a writer when he's got who knows how many millions of dollars in the bank. <laughs> he's here and he's here turning in stories for yahoo.com and it he wants to be helpful. He understands the role of the media. He understands uh, that the rise of the league uh, in the 1970s and 80s and 90s made him a lot of money and a lot of other people money. And he just wants to help out. He's just a good guy. And he's a talker. It's mm -hmm. exactly the excerpt that you just mentioned. He didn't have to be prodded into becoming a good announcer. It's just something that has always come to him. He's always been mature. He's got just the right amount of smart ass mm -hmm. and smart and knows when to talk and knows when to be quiet. Uh, it's just a gift that he has. And he likes to talk and he likes to give his opinions on things very clearly. Like I, I, I know that you've been around, um, you know, Warriors practices, obviously myself and, you know, back in olden times when we were allowed to hang out. And, um, you know, after he's done doing one of his several media responsibilities of the day, you know, a media scrum huddled around him, asking him questions about the latest injury report. And, uh, what do you expect from Portland tonight? You know, questions like that. Uh, he doesn't just like get up and walk away and go to his office. He hangs out and he doesn't really talk basketball. He actually likes to talk about baseball, specifically the Dodgers. And he'll just start telling you his opinion on the Dodgers, like off the record. It's just like, uh, he just starts chatting with people. What do you think about Dodgers giants this weekend? And it's just like, you can just you could just keep going, like if he, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I was just I was just gonna say he's just a, uh, and it's genuine. He's not trying to win anybody over to get good coverage for himself. He's just at his core, he's a good guy and a sports and fan. He, yeah, and a sports fan yeah. and enjoys the conversation. And if if somebody had just come from covering Dodgers Giants the day before and they're at that Warriors practice, he's going to be asking them questions. Mm -hmm. You know, what about this? What about that? Would you, would you learn from different things? Uh, he's ju he just wants to be helpful. And if somebody wants to stick around and, and get a little bit more time, unless he's got something on his calendar that he can't stick around more often than not, he's giving much more time than he needs to. And we talked a little while ago about, uh, him wanting to use that megaphone, he understands the power now of the bully pulpit to the point that when when it got to the NBA Finals in Toronto, uh, the biggest event of the year for the league, he's showing up at pregame press conferences uh, wearing T-shirts about voting rights. And I think one was on gun control. He had the one about, uh, I think, the... Uh, the voting rights. Uh, I, I detail in the book. I can't remember it right now. But in other words, he's not just accepting the questions that are coming. He's encouraging them. He wants people at the NBA finals understanding that he's got 
all the TV cameras there. He wants people asking him about social issues. And a, a lot of that, as I said, is he's trying to use the power of his podium that he has now that uh, he, he always had the private conversations before. Now they're, they're very public conversations. And a lot of it is wanting to talk and a lot of it is, is he's just a good guy. One of the stories I have in there, there's a reporter from Kansas City who uh, came out to do a story on uh, on Rush uh, several years ago. It's the night that the Warriors set the record for most wins in the regular season. And this guy just happened to pick the wrong night to be there because he understood that that everybody wanted to talk about beating the Bulls record that night at the end of the regular season for most wins in a season. And uh, the guy sort of sneaks in a question about the Kansas City native. Uh, you know, how's he playing? Where does he fit in for the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. And understands he, he can't really pursue this line of questioning too much because everybody wants to talk about the record. And just by chance, they see each other in the hallway after the game, after the record has been reached. And again, Steve had not seen this guy in his entire life, had no relationship with him. And the guy is walking past and sort of gives the, the quick wave, you know, how you doing? And Steve stops this guy, Blair Kirkhoff. And he says, do you get everything you need? Do you need anything else? I mean, who, who does wow. that? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's just, and again, that's not a suck-up move. It's a paper from Kansas City doing a story on a hometown guy yeah. uh, who's, who's on the Warriors bench. But Steve stops him and says, do you need anything else? Any more questions? Are you good? And it, it's, it's stories like that that really show who this guy is. Yeah. Um, I could say from several times, like, he's – done that you know at least with me and like i guess he sees me every day or again used to but with this guy he's never talked to before i mean it, it is remarkable um how close was steve to working in the white house not really uh it's interesting that it came up and it came up directly it's not like a couple advisors talk among themselves at lunch or nobody threw it out as in an editorial uh, it was brought up in conversation to the president. Barack it Obama was, at the time. Yeah. I, I think it was 2012, if I have that right off the top of my head. And North Korea had a new leader, Kim Jong-un. And Barack Obama calls together a group and he says, I, I want to have a meeting about how we can approach this, this new leader. Uh, what do we need to know about him? Where are ways to get with him and maybe maybe work on the relations between the U.S. And, and North Korea that obviously had been bad as it had with most people. And every, as everybody knows, every diplomatic mission so far had basically failed. And one of the advisors, they're in the Roosevelt Room, and I detail this. Uh, it, it, it's one of the new stories that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. One of the advisors says directly to Barack Obama, get Steve Kerr. Again, this is the craziness of, of the guy's life, yeah. of Steve Kerr's life. That who else, How often does this come up with an NBA coach? Uh, this was obviously before he was into coaching, but it was, let's make Steve Kerr an emissary, an envoy, and send him to North Korea. Have him play horse with Kim Jong-un. The connection, of course, as a lot of people know, is that Kim was a, is a big basketball fan and was a huge Bulls fan in particular from the Michael Jordan years. And... Steve being part of that team uh, would have been known to Kim Jong-un. And the advisor thought, well, with his dad's background, his dad had been an advisor to the Jimmy Carter White House. He had met with Yasser Arafat. 
on the other side. He was respected around the world as a leading expert uh, on Middle East policies. And so the guy thought, you know what? Everything we've tried so far hasn't worked. Steve Kerr can work. And he tells the advisor tells me the story of, of saying, telling President Obama, get Steve Kerr and send him to Pyongyang. And he could see the blood drained from the faces of the other advisors in the room. These, these button-up button types <laughs> in the National Security Council uh, sitting on both sides of the president, uh, you could just see their faces turn white at, what are you talking about? We're not sending a basketball guy <laughs> to deal with Kim Jong-un. It didn't, never really got much traction. Uh, Barack Obama, as a Bulls fan, obviously knew Steve Kerr. Again, this was before they had their meetings after championships. This was 2012. But it, it never went anywhere. Uh, but it was in conversation inside the White House directly to the president. And that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, that's an accomplishment. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain my name's not never been brought up to the president. So um, I think just having that happen is an accomplishment. Um, one last question. Um, you, you, you obviously get to the Kevin Durant years and everything that happened with that. There's so many ways, there's so many directions I could take it. Uh, so instead of actually doing that, I'll just ask you your, your biggest takeaway uh, from Steve Kerr's experience during those, those three dynasty years. The Kerr-Durant relationship? Anything you have. The, the Kerr-Durant relationship, I guess, would be something the listeners would they, like about the most, yeah. I'd say they were work colleagues. They were, uh, they were business friends. Um, wouldn't hang out, uh, probably not on each other's Christmas card list, as, as now Draymond and Kevin have, um, have, have underlined in recent days. Um, but they got from each other what they needed. I, I don't think that they were in each other's face. Nobody had to pull them apart, as far as we know. Um, but, you know, but Kevin has been difficult for a lot of people to deal with in coaching and, and front office and things like that. Obviously, a, a marvelously talented player, but um, you would know better than I. But I don't think, were there a, a whole lot of tears shed when, when Kevin left? Uh, there were not. No. Yeah. It was, you know, we're going to miss that scoring. And we're, they wanted him. You know, yes. they offered him the contract. And, and if he had come back, Steve certainly would have uh, put him in, invested 100% to making the relationship work. But also at the same time, I, I think it was pretty obvious that it, there was this feeling of, okay, fine, let's move on. <laughs> that, right. If he wasn't going to come back, they, they thought that they still had a chance. Now we'll never know how the years, how the years following his Kevin's departure could have been if the, if the Warriors were at full strength. Um, so I, I, re I think they understood that there was a basketball hit to take, but that they also had won before him and they, they felt like with a healthy team, they could have won that they could continue to win afterwards. And, um, but it was, it, it wasn't the most challenging situation in the world. It's something that they would have been able to deal with, but, I don't think they were disappointed when they didn't have to. And what do you think about the job that he's had to do since Durant left? Because this is a very different job that he was than he was hired to do, right? There's a lot more player development. There's a lot more, you know, he kind of, he came in with a team that was ready to compete right away. And now it's, like I said, it's a little bit different. He's kind of, he has to build from the ground up a little bit more than what he had to do when he first started. Uh, what do you think about the job he's done so far these last couple of years? 
I think it's been as good as could be. Yeah. There's just no way anybody was going to win big in that setting. When you looked at, you know, you go back and look at, at some of the roles in terms of the minutes that some of these guys had in the last couple of years. And you're thinking, well, that guy should have been in the G league. That guy should have been your 10th or 11th man. And here they are getting 15 or 18 minutes a game. So it was a impossible situation for Steve. Uh, we'll see, I think over time, how some guys develop and, and that will be very telling. I will say this, uh, while he did not want to be in that situation because he rather would be talking about, are we going to get to 55 wins? Or are we going to get to 62 wins? I think there's anybody would have much preferred to be in the conversation of, you know, the challenges and the difficulty of having to play into June again. Those are the, the tough conversations that you want. Right. Uh, he wanted the wins, not, not the rebuilding, but, as we said at the start of this conversation, uh, he's had to deal with difficult situations his entire life. And I think he embraced the difficulty, didn't want it, but also was not afraid of it. Wasn't, he was not running around saying the sky is falling, um, realized that there are still good days ahead. And that as long as he still gets Steph Curry playing like Steph showed last season, he could still play that Steph is not one step away from retirement that as long as they're building something and that the guys that are getting much bigger minutes because they're rookies or second-year players on a broken-down team might be able to help the Warriors in a much much better way than they would have ordinarily once they get back to full strength. I think that Steve was pretty realistic that at saying, just, just give me another couple years with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and a solid supporting cast and i want that fight i think that i think that he embraced it the book is called steve kerr a life by scott howard cooper available where books are sold scott thanks so much for doing this thank you i appreciate it great conversation